Take us live. And underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to be with you. And Herc, as always, a pleasure to be with you, my man. How are you doing on this huge week in our little slice of the soccer world? Huge week indeed, Seb. I hope you're ready. I am ready. I am ready. I am ready. Let's see if those beloved sounders of yours are ready. We will, of course, be looking ahead to the CONCACAF Champions League second leg on Wednesday night, a little bit later in the show. we got a historic weekend to discuss in the National Women's Soccer League. Angel City uh, opening up their first game at Bank of California Stadium, so very exciting. There we got the repechaje, or play-in field set, down in Mexico as well. At least one very, very interesting matchup. And, of course, we got some fun stadium news across Major League Soccer to celebrate. But Herc, let's start with the LeBron James of soccer. Christian Pulisic, who for the seventh straight game with Chelsea this past weekend, did not make Thomas Tuchel's starting 11. But that's not really the story. No, the story is what happened after the game on social media. Christian Pulisic's father, Mark Pulisic, with this tweet, quote, the sad thing is he loves the club, teammates, and London. Puts his heart and soul into being a pro. Onwards and upwards, my boy. Big six months ahead. We should note that this tweet has since been deleted. All right, Herc, help us read between the lines here. What is Mark Pulisic really saying about Christian Pulisic at Chelsea? I don't know. He could be talking about a number of things. All I know is it's not helpful. I'm a father. I understand one's natural instinct to protect or to defend your child. I understand that. It must be very difficult to hear, to read, to see some of the comments made about Christian Pulisic for Mark. I understand this. But he has to realize he's not protecting his child in this moment. He's hurting him. He's magnifying an already glaring and a very low moment for Christian in the public eye. He's, he's adding fuel to that fire. So essentially what he wanted to do, it's reversing on him, exploding in their face. And to the extent where it's now been deleted. So either he, to his own conclusion, has realized this isn't the route to go, or even Christian Pulisic himself has asked his father to take it down. I understand, I repeat, what it's like to be a father and want to protect your child, but this is the opposite effect. Yeah, I guess my question here is, is it a sign of something bigger, right? Is it a sign of further frustration? Because we already know there's been some frustration in the Pulisic camp about his situation at Chelsea. I think it's obvious that, yes, it is. And I think it's the same kind of fundamental tension, Herc, that we've had not just all of this season, but really since Christian Pulisic got to Chelsea. And that is everybody on this side of the pond, probably a lot of people on that side of the pond, too, when you look at the sticker price saying, OK, well, when is Christian Pulisic going to become a full-time starter at Chelsea. I think that frustration is coming from a place now where the people in the Pulisic camp aren't really sure if that's ever going to happen. Do you think it's ever going to happen at Chelsea? Uh, maybe, but I don't think it's going to happen with Thomas Tuchel, and I don't think that's the case just for Christian Pulisic. We see a lot of unhappy, very unhappy offensive players out Chelsea. Christian Pulisic is just one of those players in that stable. Lukaku is unhappy. Lukaku is one of the most expensive transfers, transfers excuse me, in world football, and he's unhappy. Maybe only two out of that handful will be somewhat content with their role. Mason Mount and uh, Kai Havertz. Everybody else, Timo Werner, Ziyech, uh, Hudson-Odoi, Christian Pulisic himself, Lukaku, will be not happy. And I'm sure Christian Pulisic will have lots of options. Whether he wants to stay 
at Chelsea, stay in London, as Mark Pulisic says, that he's very happy in, is another case. He's 23 years old. He wasn't really a consistent starter or a prime player at Dortmund. He hasn't been a prime player despite the number 10 in his back or on his back for Chelsea. At some point, especially leading up to a World Cup and a World Cup year, you want to be that player, especially if you're the face for U.S. soccer. Hmm. Well, you've always said he's a big game player, perhaps no Game bigger, at least left on this season for Chelsea than the FA Cup final. We know that's coming up on, what is it, May 14th. That's right, Saturday, May 14th. The FA Cup available for you right here on ESPN+. Plus. Our coverage starts at 11.25 a.m. Eastern time that day. Let's see if we get another big performance against Liverpool from Christian Pulisic. We know we have seen that in the past. Speaking of Americans in the Premier League, what about the case Herc, of Josh Sargent back on the field for Norwich over the weekend? That's about all the good news that I can give you. The Canaries lost 2-0 against Aston Villa, guaranteeing relegation. Sargent, for his efforts, well, he got re-injured after only about 14 minutes of action. Puts the emphasis on a rough season for Norwich. What do you think's next for Josh Sargent, Herc? Should he stay? at the club that is now heading down to the second tier in England? He's 22 years old, and I would advise him to move. Uh, I know what many are saying. Wait, he just moved from a relegation, mm-hmm. uh, defeated team, Werder Bremen, uh, to Norwich, the Premier League, and he played pretty regular, but not in his position. So, mm. albeit you're going down in the second division and you may be guaranteed playing time, it is the second division. Uh, say what you want, the championship's a very good level, uh, but he's going to be in a club where he hasn't been valued as a center forward. I think he needs to go somewhere. At 22 years age of years of age, excuse me, he's already proven he can play in the Bundesliga and the Premier League, but he needs to play consistently in his position. I've said many times how talented of a player I think he is at the number nine role. He needs to grow if he wants to continue to evolve in that number nine role. I don't want to see him as Mm. a winger. I don't want to see him on a team where he's going to be constantly defending for 90 minutes, where he's going to be trying to just grind out results. I want to see his growth inside the box. I want to see him score goals. I want to see him be productive and I want to see him get those reps. And if he wants those reps, he needs to leave. If you're Josh Sargent, are you thinking to yourself, is this deja vu all over again? Because it really is such a similar situation to where he found himself last year with Werder Bremen. And you'll remember there was a discussion, should he stay there, right? Should he stay in Bundesliga 2 where you absolutely knew that he was going to get minutes? Or you assumed he would get minutes and minutes in the number 9 role. Then he gets this move to the Premier League and I think we saw kind of the, the, the star power, right? The sex appeal of the Premier League. And you say, okay, that, that's a good move. Um, it really didn't work out. I wonder though about the case for continuity, right? Because you did point it out. Like how often as a young player do you want to be bouncing around? But I'm with you because I saw that graphic, and I do not think of Josh Sargent as a winger, right? And certainly, we know Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's national team, doesn't think about him as a winger. The only thing I I might be able to say, like, oh, if he stayed at Norwich, there'd be continuity. And could you you argue that versatility... No, you're right. You're right. You never Pokey. know when you go down to the well, no, championship. Because I'm just saying, Pokey goes up, uh, Norwich goes up and down in the Premier League, and Pokey goes with them, and he's always their nine. Yeah, but what about, what about the argument for, for, for just Sargent versatility, right? If you're Greg Berhalter and you look at him and you're saying, okay, like, I know this kid can do some stuff as a nine, but if he stays at Norwich, I'm going to get to see him much more as a winger. Could, could that help Sargent's ultimate case for Qatar? 
maybe being versatile is always a good thing for a coach for a coach to have versatility uh, you can ha say it's between these two players but this one offers me the flexibility of playing multiple positions and in a pinch I can play him here but remember this uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Hmm. And sometimes hmm. that's not a good thing when you're so versatile, you can play a lot of different positions, but you're not the guy in a certain position. You're talking to a guy for a long time in his career, uh, played as a winger, uh, because I wasn't the man as a nine. It was my way of getting myself in. But if you play that way, you're never going to be the man. Hmm. All right, interesting to see what Josh Sargent's future holds. Speaking of interesting futures, what about the Cowell brothers, Herc? Uh, let's start with Cade, but his brother Chase as well are both apparently in the process of acquiring Mexican citizen citizenship with an eye on possibly representing El Tri at the senior national team level. Ah, another battle for dual nationals, this time brothers. Herc, something, nothing, or everything? Everything! Watch out! They're coming for your cades! They're coming for your chases! Uh, <laughs> seriously? This is... It's, it's not nothing, I'll tell you that much. And it's definitely something because this continues to be a trend, right? Uh, it's a trend in the manner in which FMF, the Federation, is so aggressive in chasing down these dual nationals of Mexican-American descent. So that is everything right there. It's how aggressive they are. But until, and we've heard this many times, until I start seeing these players who I think have a wealth of talent actually get their opportunities, hmm. then it's going to be everything. That's when it's going to be everything. When you see players like Julian Araujo, David Ochoa, Efrain Alvarez, Jonathan Gonzalez get a realistic opportunity, that's when a lot of people, a lot of heads are going to start turning. Right now, it feels like a numbers game. It feels like hmm. we will deal with that bridge when we get to it. Right now, let's just make sure they're here. And that, to me, does not sit well because these are very good players who can potentially be very good for your program but it doesn't feel like you're taking them seriously enough. Now, hmm. for all the things that I've personally faulted Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Soccer Federation for, when it comes to their recruitment of dual nationals, that is actually one of the biggest strengths, excuse me, strengths that he has and that the Federation has had under his realm. Um, this, I want you to be content, I want you to be happy, I want you to experience both, I want you to come to your own decisions. It's a very nourishing and, and helpful way of allowing the player to gain perspective. So much that even Julian Araujo has, has spoken at length about how good Greg Berhalter has been there. And this doesn't just go to the Mexican-Americans. This goes to Sergio Des, this goes to Gaga Salonina, who's, who's happening to go something through this right now. Uh, but that's not seemed to be the case with FMF and these players. So our colleague Cesar Hernandez, who writes for the website ESPN.com, reported earlier that uh, speaking to just how aggressive FMF is, they're going to host a U.S.-based camp for 18 players this week at the under 15 and under 14 levels. So they are really going in on, on some of those younger players. I'm interested in the points you make about kind of the differences in the approach. There's, there's this idea of the, the predatory call-up, right? Where you just basically say, I'm going to call this kid into my program. I'm going to cap tie him. Not necessarily because I know exactly what I'm going to do with him or even if I'm going to use him 
in the, in the near future, but just so somebody else can't have him. It, it seems like Mexico is a little bit more aggressive on that front. And to your point, Greg Berhalter is a little bit more laid back. When you're ready to commit to us, then you commit to us and we'll go forward. My question to you is, is there really a right or wrong way to do it? I don't know. Um, there's is really there no... such thing in your mind as like a predatory call-up? Does, does that word bother you there? It, the word does bother me because these are people we're talking about. These are the kids we're talking about. You're asking these kids to make a decision that impacts their lives. You're asking mm. these kids to tell basically millions of people how they identify, and those people run with it. It's a very slippery slope. Uh, I, I'm troubled by not taking these players seriously as people. And I, and I don't want to say Greg Berhalter has been lax or, or, or more chill about this. I, I just think he's been more intelligent about this. He's been more respectful, if you will. Um, these are kids. These are people you're dealing with and their families. There is no right or wrong answer of where you go. And this is the most important thing here. These kids, no matter what decision they make, they're going to disappoint a sector. They're going to upset people. And they're going to have to deal with those, I guess, that vitriol, I guess, that, I guess that, that hate in a way, uh, in some shape or form. So it's a very slippery slope. I do have a problem with the term predatory when we're mm. talking about these kids. Just, just thinking about like the, some of the recent names that we've seen in the Mexican-American dual national space, right? If you look at, at the guys who have committed to Mexico, Araujo, Ochoa, Efra, like those guys, Araujo's the lone exception, but even him, it, it took time for him to get, to get minutes, to, to really see what his value would be to the program. If you think about the U.S. side, the one shining example is Ricardo Pepe, and it was like the day he announced, he was not just in the team, he was, he was the U.S. number nine. So you, you see kind of the difference there, right? Yes, uh, in theory, yes. And I'm conflicted by this because there are different circumstances, different positions, different kids, different circumstances, different areas of need. Uh, Julian Araujo right now is in a position where maybe out of all of those, he had the biggest chance of playing. And Ricardo Pepe is in a position where he struck lightning. Uh, it was a lightning in a bottle struck at the right time, and look where he is now. He may not be succeeding in terms of productivity, but he's in the Bundesliga. And he went mm. for a $20 million transfer. So you do see like maybe where one sector or one train of thought is going. But I, I got I to gotta stress this, Seb. These are kids we're dealing with, and, and it's so just it's such a slippery slope with this. All right, let's run it back. Speaking of dual nationals, that's where we'll start as we check in on those doing big things abroad. Alex Mendez with his first goal for Vizela against Porto, and a banger at that. A couple of goals in cup play. Taca de Portugal. Listen, he's only 21. Uh, great goal against Porto, no, no doubt. But it's crazy to me the amount of talent that the LA Galaxy has lost. I mean, any other team loses that amount of talent. I know we could say FC Dallas, but that's been almost relationship building with Europe. The Galaxy has lost some very good players. You mentioned FC Dallas. Jesus Ferreira with his sixth goal of the season in MLS play. All right, he's not a nine, right? He just gets paid like a line. He scores like a nine, and he leads his team in goals like a nine. He's also second in goals in the league. Jesus Ferreira, put some respect on that nine. But can he do it at the international level? That's the big question. One to be answered in the coming months for sure. Speaking of, Jordan Pifak, his 22nd goal of the season. He is your league leader in Switzerland. <laughs> 21 in 31 games. That is ridiculous. He's got 27 in all comps. That's his fourth goal in a row. This man's heating up even more. <laughs> 
How many from the penalty spot, though? Are we going to oh, have yeah, to start calling Jordan Penfox soon? Haji Wright, 12th goal of the season. <laughs> what did he say? Sixth straight game with a goal. Dude, Aji Wright. Uh, by the way, his team's been undefeated in the last 13 league games. He's a huge reason why. He is hot. They are hot. Haji Wright hitting up the right time. It is a World Cup year, Seb. Yep. Haji Wright, the new Mr. Football Americas. The first Mr. Football Americas. Uh, he's holding a trophy high. None other than Brendan Aronson as RB Salzburg. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We'll get to that in just a second. John Brooks with his first goal of the season for Wolfsburg. Yeah, this kind of makes me sad because this is probably, what, a farewell gift uh, to Wolfsburg. But I keep thinking what would have been a good, healthy John Brooks with Greg Berhalter and U.S. Men's National Team. Now we will never know. We will never know, he says. Here's uh, Brendan Aronson. And RB Salzburg winning the Austrian Cup. Can we put that man in a bubble wrap, please? Keep him healthy. I I'm a little, Keep him all healthy. Uh, yes, I'm a little worried. Yeah, but he's been so productive this year. Uh, he's had a banger, a stellar year. Keep that man healthy. Please, baby Jesus. Absolutely. Keep him racking up titles as well. What a start to his European career. Tuki Lozano. With a goal, his fifth of the Serie A campaign. It came in a 6-1 win for Napoli over Sassuolo. Fifth of the season. He's 27 this year. Just in a few months, actually, in July. The time is now. If he's going to get a move, if it's a bigger move, if there is a bigger move that exists in Napoli, it is now. Ancelotti, Gennaro Gattuso, Luciano Spalletti. He's not been a consistent starter with either of the three. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Liga Mekis campaign, all wrapped up. All that's left, Repechaje and Liga. There you see your top four teams, Pachuca, Tigres, Atlas, and America. They will go directly through to the quarterfinals, as always, 5 through 12 into the Repechaje. Before we start talking about postseason, though, let's look back at the regular season that was Herc. What's your biggest storyline from the recently concluded Clausura? It's not a popular team, nor is it a popular storyline, really, but it's got to be Necaxa under hmm. Jimmy Lozano. Let me tell you a little bit about Necaxa. Necaxa was one of these old-school teams that was popular back in the uh, 80s, 90s. Actually, that Club World uh, Championship, Club World Cup, they were the first ones. They had a stellar uh, participation with Aguinaga and that crew. Well, they got new ownership. Uh, yes, Eva Longoria, Kate Upton, Mesut Ozil, uh, some of those. Sean Porter, who actually was with your DC United investor there. Part of this new ownership, 50% for 25 million. And what do they do? They start changing things up. 
they've always been one of the better scouting departments also in all of Liga MX. Let me read you off a few names that they've uh, uh, un unjammed over the years. Heriberto mm -hmm. Jurado is a 17-year-old kid right now. Alejandro Sendejas, who had a, a breakout year with him. Christian Calderon, yes, Chicote. Roberto Alvarado. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez, he now plays at Tigres. Uh, Eric Lira. Igor Linshovsky. Edson Puch. Brian Fernandez. Victor Davila. The list goes on and on and on. They've got a great scouting department. But it's Jimmy Lozano and what he's been able to do. They had three points when he joined them. Three points. They finished with 23 points. They've uh, won four out of their last, I'm sorry, three out of their last four under Jimmy Lozano. Jimmy Lozano, who was heavy rumored, heavily rumored with Chivas, uh, nothing came about of that. They didn't even approach him. And they actually interviewed with the Houston Dynamo, Jimmy Lozano. They ended up going with Paulo Nagamura. He comes to this Necaxa team, and it's a whole different team, a whole different vibe. And it's Jimmy Lozano and this Necaxa team that are the story for me in Liga Mekis. Hmm. There's a lot of good choices here, right? This was, I think this was a really tough question. You could have gone with Gignac, who uh, won the Golden Boot again. I know you called that uh, mm -hmm. a little bit earlier in our show's history. You could have looked at the top of the table, said a team like Pachuca, who really ran away with things. That was a great story. You could look at the very bottom. You could see a club like Toluca that uh, doesn't get relegated, because we don't have that anymore, but did get fined. Um, so I think there's, there's Surprise a, me, Savvy. Surprise me. A pretty good story. Look, we, we cannot tell the story, even if we beat it to death on this show. Ad nauseum, we've talked about the turn rounds for the two big boys, but that is definitely for me the story of this regular season. Chivas and America, from where they were to where they've been. Let's not forget that, that going into the last week of regular season play, there was an outside shot for, for both of them, for both of them to finish top four and get that bye into the quarterfinals. There was a time where I didn't even think, Chivas, I think I thought we saw their ceiling as seven or eight, right? But but I, but they never really got down into the, the, the nether regions. They, not, they never got down into the last place like America was. America was was dead. There was nothing there. There was there were not only bad results, there was bad performance after bad performance after bad performance. I am really shocked that America turned it around. I am shocked that Chivas turned it around. I'm shocked that we're here still talking about those two teams. And honestly, really, I, I can't explain it. I guess with Leaño, you could say, all right, he was a bad manager. I, was Solari that bad of a manager? Is that really what it was with America? Because the turnaround was is remarkable. It's inexplicable for me. It, it's not inexplicable for me because if you look at the last calendar year, they had 73 points in the calendar year, which was historic achievement for a Liga Mekis team under Santiago Solari. So they Solari. quit on Solari. It's the same players. It was the same players, unreal year. Start this season, I just think Solari burnt every bridge, whether it was player-related, press-related, whatever it was. There seems to be a stale feeling with Solari. He left. The group was refreshed. Dan Ortiz, you could say what you want. He's not the best coach in the world, but he definitely got at these players feeling rejuvenated again, and they showed something. Chivas, to me, is a surprise because this is a perennial I am ninth place team. That is their average in the last decade. Literally, it's ninth place is their average, and this team it's literally night and day between Michelle Año and Cadena. Cadena comes, in, Cadena comes in and they're performing at an optimal level. They're actually very disciplined. They're actually very good defensively. They're very good in transition and they're winning games. That to me is a surprise. Hmm. I'm glad we don't always roll the tape on this show because there was definitely an episode maybe a couple months ago where I was like, zero chance. America even make the repechaje. So uh, good thing production wasn't paying attention on that one. All right, what about Guignac? I did mention that, Herc. He does win the Golden Boot for a third time, and you went way out of limb and called this. 
Well, hold on. Don't, don't say I wait, went way out on a limb. I did go out on a limb. He's 36 years old. He's coming off a year where he scored like two goals. So don't tell me I went out on a limb. I've been hearing this a lot from David Feidels and today on Oranuka, now you. Like this was, oh, you went out on a limb. Of course I did. Yes, this is his third golden boot. Let me tell you something. When it's all said and done, okay, we're not talking about this decade. It's clear to everybody that in Mexican football, he is the best player in Liga MX in the last decade. He's eating at the table with Cabinho. He's eating at the table with Aguinaga, Reynoso, Cardoso. He's amongst the greats. So one of the best of all time. What about his best goals from this season? Let's start with a strike against Chivas back on February 13th. Whoa. That's just dirty. Uh, scissor kick, anyone? Uh, I know he, he usually scores against Chivas, and you could say, whoa, four guys around him, how come nobody's on him? Why is he always free? Why does he always have these opportunities? A couple weeks later, against Juarez, not all that different. That's what he does. My man just scores goals. I mean, I repeat, 36 years old. I was on a desk at 36, working with you, besides you. That's right. I wasn't the only pain in your back. And look at Gignac carrying the team. The success continued into March. Here he is in El Clásico Regio against Rayados. This is a golazo. Close the hips on him, my man. I mean, you think he's going far post? Nope. <laughs> oh my goodness. Look at that whip. Always better when you do it in a rivalry game as well. Against Cholos. Oh, here we see the breakaway speed. Oh, breakaway speed, delicate chip. But it's it's the it's the uh, presence of mind to hold the player off. Like this is just strength. Watch that. Out of my way. It's like Hercules Gomez bullying defenders back in the day. Something like that. Yes. The finishing touch. Did you have that in your bag? <laughs> Better check some video. Oh, snap, he said, check the video. He said, get in that vault, Seb. Do your homework. How about El Repechaje? Got some uh, matchups here. Action starts on Saturday. Chivas Pumas, ooh, that should be a good one there. Rayados against Atletico San Luis. Intriguing as well. We will have a, a full preview of all of that on Thursday's edition of Football Americas. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's get to Major League Soccer. Hurt Nashville opening their brand-new beautiful stadium, Geodis Park, over the weekend. They did so in a 1-1 draw with the Philadelphia Union. A sellout, no surprise, over 30,000 in attendance at what is the largest soccer-specific stadium in the United States and or Canada. Herc, what'd you think of it? Brilliant celebration. It's what you want, right? This is growing the culture. They finally got a stadium. I shouldn't say finally. They have their stadium. They opened it in grand spec in spectacular fashion. Look at this. Celebrity ownership in the house. Yes, Reese Witherspoon. I don't know if you uh, caught the broadcast in English. John Champion was calling the game. He had a perfectly delivered 
legally blonde quote, just as they showed Reese Witherspoon on the screen. Oh. That man, Herc, a genius, a genius oh. uh, with his words. Richard Mendez not- missed that one on the Spanish broadcast. Hey, hey, come on, Richard Mendez. He's a goat. He's the goat. Uh, in case you missed it, not everybody was perfect, actually, <laughs> it would appear. People Magazine, what do they say here? Reese Witherspoon rooting for Tennessee Titans soccer team with her husband Jim Toth and sons. Let's go. Herc, um, tell me more about this Tennessee Titans soccer team. Well, Henry is one of the <laughs> owners of this team. Look at that. Oh, they got jokes. They got jokes. Good Everyone's got jokes. You get it? Nashville SC Twitter account uh, firing back for some brand synergy there between the Titans and Nashville SC. So congratulations to Nashville. They opened their new stadium, as we mentioned at the end of the last show. Congratulations to Inner Miami. We now know they were another step closer to getting their new stadium. But it got us thinking, Herc. There are some teams out there who could maybe use a new home or a home at all. So let's go through our list. The top five MLS teams that desperately need a stadium. Who's first on your list? Oh, not first. Well, number five. This one hurts. It, it pains me to put the Colorado Rapids at number five. I mean, that stadium was opened, you know, just opened 2017. Here's the thing. It's out in Commerce 2007, City. right? 2007. Did I say 17? Excuse me. 2007. Yeah. Uh, opened that stadium. Your boy scored the first ever goal in that stadium, so it pains me. But it's out in Commerce City. And if you've ever been to Commerce City, it's a pain to get out and into. Uh, It isn't the easiest of commutes if you're going into that stadium. It almost feels outdated, if you will. Uh, They've been having attendance issues. I know they come and go with how the team is doing, but that market, if you could put it in Lodo, if you could put it downtown, if you put it anywhere, Mm. that market, that sports town, that beautiful city of Denver, it could really pop, it could really explode. Dude, but Herc, if they get rid of the stadium, what are they going to do with their statue? I mean, it opens up a, a whole can of worms. I'm, I'm very worried about it. All right, who's number four on your list? I'm talking about my statue. <laughs> For the Frisco. Number four, okay. It's the FC Dallas. It's the FC Dallas because it's in Frisco. It's not even in Dallas. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate from a lot of people, but, but the, the Cowboys don't even play in Dallas. Okay, whatever. This is a huge market if you've ever been to that stadium. The majority of these stadiums that were built at that time are almost mm-hmm. outdated, and it seems crazy to think about this, but you need a central, centrally uh, located stadium. You need to get into that downtown vibe. You need somewhere where the fan base can identify. I can't tell you how many different times I've been to that stadium. I've played in that stadium, and it's felt empty. It's felt mm. like it's not a competitive front for that team. So that would be number four for me. Yeah, got the National Soccer Hall of Fame going for it. That'd be the one thing to lose if you do leave Frisco. But uh, certainly think FC Dallas could do a lot more damage if they were downtown or at least closer to it. All right, so that's five and four. Who's number three? Chicago Fire. It has to be the Chicago Fire just because of the market alone. I mean, I don't recall a team getting their rebranding, their stadium wrong more than once like the Chicago Fire. I mean... Uh, they they go to what what was it uh, what was that stadium um, Bridgeview out Bridgeview. there right yeah and can you get us out of this lease please oh 70 million we'll go ahead and pay you that to get out of here how about we rebrand this way oh you don't like it we'll rebrand again why don't we go back to Soldier Field they need their own stadium a soccer specific stadium that is one of the best fan bases do you remember the Cuauhtémoc Blanco years yes how that yes. exploded they need to go back to that element it needs to be a soccer-specific stadium close to downtown that is too big of a market to miss. 
Man, you're talking about some really big markets here. Chicago, that's like a, a top five if you're going off television size. Television markets, Chicago's a, a huge market. Okay, uh, what do you got for the top two? I, I know who they are. I'm just curious who's going to be one and who's going to be two. Well, number two is New York City FC. And the reason, oh. I know that's a massive market. You love you love Yankee Stadium. You're not. That's not the number one? No, I will tell you why when I go to number one. I know it's a massive market, but they've only been around Major League Soccer for how long? They're still trying to get to where Inter-Miami has gotten to and it took inner Miami a while it's gonna take city New York City a while uh, hopefully not too much longer but it's a massive market I believe it can get done really say it's a little pricey in that area hopefully it gets done and hopefully it's to everybody's liking the market's too big I don't want to see Jersey I want to see New York City if we can do it you can do it and I think it'll be massive now let me tell mm. you number one number one the long-suffering fans of New England, the New England Revolution, one of the original teams. Kraft is one of the original owners. Do not be an absentee owner. Do not be one of these teams that is just content with playing in a football stadium. Listen, football stadiums are great if you're the Seattle Sounders or if you're Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta United. They are great because you can fill them up, you can, you can do what you want, it's centrally located, all that stuff. You need your own stadium. You need to make it relevant. This needs to happen. You're, you're one of the original teams and still no soccer-specific stadium. You know what? New England needs a stadium, but I would have gone New York City FC number one. And my only reason is this. New York City FC literally cannot play their biggest games at home. How is, how is that not an urgent, urgent matter to fix? What do you mean? Except New England can play in their home stadium. Neither New England can at least play home. at home. It's not their stadium. I mean, it, do you, know, do you know what it's like to have a, you don't know what it's like, to play for an owner who's never there, an owner who doesn't care. Make Kraft care. At least City's coming and injecting money into this team, injecting money into Major League Soccer, injecting money into New York City. You can say what you want about CONCACAF not allowing them, that's fine. That's fine. But literally, 1996, the Revs were around. And since then, Columbus has gotten two of their very own <laughs> soccer-specific stadiums. <laughs> Oh, man. The fight for stadiums, uh, always a good one. How about that? Hercules Gomez always making friends in New England. That is his number one priority here yeah. on Football Americas. All right. Let's change gears here, Herc. You know our good friends Gavin Jules. They have a podcast on ESPN. They you do. can download it right where you download Football Americas. And every once in a while, they'll get a very, very good guest. And that good guest will say something very, very interesting. On the latest edition of Gavin Jules... That guest, none other than Zlatan Ibrahimovic, talking MLS. You spent time in, in Major League Soccer. Um, you were very honest about your assessment, about the good sides, the good aspects of it, and, and the bad aspects of it. It feels like the United States and football, uh, the, the football that, as you and I understand it, that's a slow process over time. There's American players coming to Europe. There's others developing in MLS. How did it feel now, all these, you know, after having had these years there? Do you feel positive about it? No, I'm very happy. I'm very thankful for the MLS because they gave me the chance to feel alive. But the problem was I was, I was still too alive. So I was too good for the whole competition. And that is what I showed. And I'm the best ever to play in MLS. And that is not me having ego or trying to show off now. That is true 
true facts. And when I was there, I enjoyed, I had good time, and uh, and I liked the way they were working, the way they were doing the, the marketing stuff. And uh, I think the best way to, to for me to come back where I was after my injury was MLS. I was in the best condition ever. And I'm very proud I played for the MLS because they were saying to me the stadiums, they're pretty empty when you play in that. There was no empty stadiums when I was playing. It was even overbooked, so I cannot complain. And I'm, and I'm very happy I was there, so you never know. Maybe one day I'll come back so to show them how, to give them a reminder what real football is. So at least for two years, they, they get to see what real football is. And I think they will never see something like that before. Like that well, again. I think your former teammate, David Beckham, is involved with a football club in Miami. So if you're okay with the humidity, why yeah. not? Why not? <laughs> Maybe I come back, I have my own club. You never know. Uh, that would be amazing, you brought your own franchise. You'll be the boss. You can do whatever you want then. I am already the boss. Wherever I go, I'm the boss. So it will not change. <laughs> you know, it's funny. They don't even have to give him a franchise because they already gave him one in Sweden. Remember? Hammerby, yeah. part of yeah. that Galaxy deal. Oh, how, how did that right. go down? That was, that, was a, that was an odd one. Yeah. So Zlatan claiming here that he's the best player in Major League Soccer history, Herc. Should he get lost? You're going to tell Zlatan to get lost? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, how do you want to slice this? Uh, the most talented player ever played Major League Soccer? No. Thierry Henry would like a word. The most dominant player ever to play in Major League Soccer? Dominant how so? Like goals and, and assists? Like dominating the defenders that way? I mean, he wasn't the most dominant player in Los Angeles in the two years he was here. Carlos oh, Vela come on. had a historic year of 34 goals, 15 assists. And if you want to go... The two years that he was there, Carlos Vela was 48 goals, 28 assists, to Zlatan's 52, 14 assists. And also, by the way, his team was historic. He was historic. Uh, do you also want to maybe go down the route of guys who were dominant and won something? I mean, Joseph Martinez won everything. I'm talking about everything. All-Star game, uh, Campeones Cup, MLS Cup. Like, if you were playing marbles outside and he was there, he won that as well. Robbie King, not only did he win everything, he won it multiple times. So. I'll tell you this, this is what I'm going to give Zlatan the, the most dominant physical player I've ever seen in Major League Soccer, without a doubt. I've never seen mm. anybody bulldoze defenders, anybody just take over a game like Zlatan, yes. He's also the most dominant off the field. I have never paid attention to Major League Soccer since the Beckham era, since David Beckham himself, like I have with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He made the two years he was there the Zlatan show because he was dominant in the way he went about Major League Soccer on and off the field. I will give him credit for that. Major League Soccer was better for it, and I miss him. You saw the stats there, right? Goals per 90 minutes. All time, he is the leader in MLS history in goals per 90 minutes. And you saw it's actually like quite a drop to Joseph Martinez there, who well, was second. That is a way, that is a way you could, you could measure who is the best player, at least the best goal scorer in MLS history. You also, you're pointing out all of, all of the team accolades of Carlos Vela and other guys. 
that Zlatan team that he had around him was very, very poor, that Galaxy team. They finished eighth his last year. The next year, they finished dead last. They were 20th. And the year after that, they finished 15th. They missed, you know, playoffs back-to-back years after him. He had a huge impact on that team, Mark. I, I think it's a very, very easy argument to make that Zlatan is the best player that we've ever seen in this league, especially when you consider his age, dude. He was awesome when he was here. Your age has nothing to do with it if you're considering yourself the best. That's not, you don't handicap yourself because of your age. And also, by the way, you're using stats conveniently for your argument. He played two seasons. So Joseph Martinez should be hampered by playing more seasons. Same thing with Carlos Vela. And Carlos Vela was injured for two years. You're taking sample size for Carlos Vela. Take sample size for the rest. Take the rest at their peak. And where is he? Listen, any way you slice it, no, he wasn't the best. But Mm. he was the best player at getting people to watch Major League Soccer. And I thoroughly and sorely miss this man. What about the eyeball test? The showdowns, Vela versus Latan. Remind me who won those. Uh... That's right, the LA Galaxy, the worst team with Zlatan Ibrahimovic on it, always won those games. Time out, time out. What'd they win? They won won the derby. They won El Tráfico against your boy Carlos Vela and that great LAFC team you were just talking about. What are you talking about? Yeah, (laughs) right. I picked the Galaxy on that one. You conveniently forgetting that one? Plenty more from Zlatan on the latest edition of the Gab and Jules podcast. Gab running the show, and look at Jules. Jules wearing a U.S. men's national. Is that a Hercules Gomez shirt? And these guys are always pandering. Unbelievable, these jokes. I know, right? Well, next thing you know, they're going to do a whole podcast on Christian Polisic and steal our YouTube <laughs> views. Did I say that out loud? <sighs> All right. Uh, MLS on ESPN Plus Wednesday. FC Cincinnati against Toronto FC. Coverage starts 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Herc, NWSL Challenge Cup semifinals coming up on Wednesday at Audi Field. we got O.L. Reign against Washington Spirit. Later that night, Kansas City Current against the North Carolina Courage. The final then on May 7th. Herc, a lot of people looking at this O.L. Reign washington Spirit game and saying this is the actual final ahead of the final. You agree? I do agree. I mean, where do you want to start? Uh, star power, history, uh, relevance, mm. future, uh, you know, excitement level, uh, player talent, whatever you want, any way you want to slice it, this was it. I know that Quinn didn't start and, and Andy Sullivan didn't start as well, so you're, you're kind of looking at to the weekend, right? But this is what it is. You're talking about the IT team right now and the Washington spirit. What memory serves me correct, sans the COVID forfeited games mm-hmm. that they had last year, they're in a 19 game winning streak versus one of the NWSL uh, powers that be in the OL reign. I don't know how you can say this is the ideal final. We're getting a final before the final. Yeah. So they actually played in regular season. This is always what's confusing about regular season Challenge Cup happening at the same time. On Sunday, the Washington Spirit, as you see in the highlights here, uh, winning 2-1. to one. Herc, I always wonder how that impacts the match from a player's perspective. When you play the same team twice in the span of, what's it going to be here, four days? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's a mental edge, that's for sure. You for can who? for the, the team that won. The team that won, yeah. yes. You you can try to downplay it as much as you want, but it is a mental edge. You've almost gone sparring around with with, with your opponent, and you're like, yeah, I beat him. Okay, I see where this is going. So you got that mental edge, and if you're the OL Reign, you've got to be thinking to yourself like, man, this is the way they played in regular season. What's it going to be like when there's a final on the line? You know what's awesome? Getting your championship rings. Oh. You always got medals back in the day, didn't you? No, we got rings. Come on, don't, don't, you got rings? don't, don't old man me. How come you never me? wear them? Don't how, come I never see you, you, how come I never see you wearing your bling? Because my spirit. hand would be heavy if I wore three ah, rings on one, on one look hand. Look at this guy. The Washington Spirit getting their uh, 2021 <laughs> championship rings over the weekend at the game against O.L. Reign. Yeah, got to try it on. That's sweet. Yeah, that's... That's, I don't know what's better, like the, the celebration when you're on the bus, or is it when you get the rings? Look at the size of that bling. I bring mine out sometime. That's right. Congratulations to the Washington Spirit, the party that will never stop, the 2021 NWSL Championship Celebration. Speaking of parties, Herc, you missed one. I, I know you wanted to be, but could not be at Angel City's first ever NWSL win on Friday night against the North Carolina Courage. First ever game at Bank of California Stadium, and they didn't wait long. What, three minutes in for that first goal? And that's how you open things up. We got a party! We got a party! Three minutes in, 22,000 fans. This is insane. They've already got 15-plus in-season tickets. Woo! Junendo with the assist on the first goal. He took care of business, getting the second on what was a magical night for Angel City. FC with more from Bank of California. Here's our Katia Castorena. Angel City's NWSL debut at Bank of California was a night to remember. Talk about a fairy tale night with Hollywood ending. Angel City rolled out the pink carpet for their star-studded guests, team owners, and investors. The night was a celebration with a fan fest, music, and fireworks. Women's soccer is finally a reality again in LA, and the crowd was all for it. A sellout of 22,000 fans witnessed a new beginning. The result was just as magical, earning their first league win. It was unbelievable. I think everything that we'd hoped that the club would deliver, they delivered in abundance and with more. I thought the crowd was unreal tonight. And I think that their energy and enthusiasm and just support for the players and for the coaching staff, you could feel. And it was just an incredible night. It's the best uh, environment that I've ever coached in. I have waited for a moment like this for, for 12 years. You know, I, I had hoped to get drafted to the LA Soul. The team folded before I had a chance and I've been all over the world. Um, and to be here with my, with my parents here watching this game, for us to win, to feel the love, the support. I think we proved that anything is possible in women's sports. I, I'll never forget this. After a rough start in preseason in the Challenge Cup, Angel City came out strong, locked in with such intensity in the first game of the regular season and found two goals in the first 15 minutes. We harnessed on the energy of the crowd and the supporters and it was unreal. And I think the players felt that and that was you know, the high start that we had. Then it felt like that first half was the longest period of football I've ever had until the last 10 minutes. And then that was the longest period of football I've ever had to watch, watch and wait through. But 
no, it was, uh, it was a great job done by the players and they managed the game well. It was only the first night, but the impact is already tangible with over 15,000 season tickets sold for the inaugural campaign. Families, boys, but mainly girls got to be inspired by what they witnessed on the field. A dream come true. Great stuff on a historic night from our Katia Castorena. All right, so Angel City, 22,000, a sellout in their first ever game at Bank of California Stadium. Are they already NWSL's model franchise, Herc? No. Off the field, yeah, they are. Beautiful stadium, celebrity mm -hmm. ownership, nice dreads, 15K in season ticket sales. Uh, what is it, 20 million, over 20 million in sponsorships. But on the field is where it counts. And on mm. the field, the star power. On the field, the brand that you deploy, the style of play. On the field, what you can do. And especially here in Los Angeles, that's very important. Everything else, the glitz, the glamour, the dreads, the thread, excuse me, where you play, that is great, that is dandy, that is beautiful. But it's on the field that makes you a model franchise, and that still remains to be seen. You know, they're not there yet, but I think they're as close as you can get for having played one 90-minute regular season match. All the off-the-field stuff you talk about um, is true. They've absolutely crushed it in terms of sponsorships. The money that they're bringing in to the league, I think, is going to be game-changing. There is a long ways to go on the field, but hey, you're an expansion team. I, I think we've all kind of built in some patience for that, including our producer, Beto, who was actually at the game Friday night. He said he had a uh, an awesome time. I think there is still a ways to go. You know what I think could happen, though? And I think we mentioned this before on the show, is I'm not just comparing Angel City against the other teams in the NWSL, Herc. I am also comparing them to the other teams in Los Angeles. That's Galaxy and, L, uh, and, and LAFC. I think there's, there's a very real potential in five to ten years that Angel City might be the biggest soccer team in L.A., period. Could be. You're not dividing fan bases. I mean, the LA, LA Galaxy and LAFC are dividing two sectors of fans in Los Angeles. Angel City FC doesn't have to do that. And if they could put out a winning product, L.A. loves a winner. Not quite the hype of Angel City, but San Diego Wave also with a historic weekend as they pick up their first ever regular season win. This one came 1-0 over Houston. 86th minute winner from Jody Taylor. Go ahead, Jody! 35 years old. Uh, what am I doing here, Sev? Comes on as a sub. We get the game winner. Go ahead. Where were you at 35? Next to you, unfortunately. <laughs> Not tucking it home like uh, Jody Taylor there. Uh, congratulations to her. It'll go down in the record books as the first game winner in regular season play for San Diego Wave Football Club. So that's women's soccer on this side of the pond. What about the other side of the pond? Champions League semifinals over the weekend. Lyon beating PSG 2-1 on Saturday. So that means they win 5-3 on aggregate. Katarina Macario and Lindsay Horan are going to be playing in the Champions League final, Herc, against the powerhouse, the monstrosity that is Barcelona. Cannot wait. Yeah, hold on a second. This is Lyon's, like, what, 10th Champions League final? That's going to be in Turin. Uh, yeah, that Barcelona, that's fine, but this is a dream matchup. Absolutely. One we've been waiting on for a long time. Lyon, kind of the, the old money, if you will, in European women's soccer. They've been around for a while. Barcelona... New kids on the block picked up that Champions League last season. Will they be able to repeat? It is a matchup for the ages and one that will feature a couple of Americans, we hope. Katarina Macario right now, Lyon's top scorer with seven goals in the competition.
Elsewhere hurt, the protests persist in Portland as Timbers and Thorns fans continue to speak out against the club's recent handling of multiple abuse allegations, one against former Timbers player Andy Polo, another against former Thorns manager Paul Riley. These scenes are from last week's Timbers match against RSL, but we saw similar scenes at the Thorns game this past Saturday. Joining us from Portland for more perspective on this is Madison Shanley. If that name rings a bell, it should if you've been watching Football Americas. We talked about Madison oh, about a month ago after she wore a You New shirt in protest while singing the national anthem at Providence Park. But now we get to hear from Madison directly. So, Madison, great to have you here on the show. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, Madison, I want to start not necessarily with the story, but with your story. Give us some context here. How long have you been singing at Timbers and Thorns games? And just kind of what did that role mean to you? I've been singing for the Timbers and Thorns since 2009, officially. Um, I've been a volunteer anthem singer since I was a young girl. And uh, the team has meant a lot to me. I feel like I've grown up with the team, become a woman with the team, gone through some of my most difficult um, life situations with the team. And uh, yeah, I've, I've loved, loved them. They've had a near and dear place in my heart. Madison, we've covered the Andy Polo and Paul Riley cases here on the show extensively. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, what led to you wearing the UNU shirt? Well, I've seen the words you knew in the crowd uh, for months now. I've, I've been following everything, doing my research. I finally made the decision to use my platform um, after months of, of debating, really. Um, I am a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault. And after reading the reports and seeing the allegations and uh, seeing you knew in the crowd, I knew that I could use my platform to elevate the message. Um, so that's what I decided to do. Madison, so as I understand it, after the protest, the Timbers wanted to meet with you. I, I wonder what that interaction, what that meeting was like. Can you describe it for us? The interaction was, uh, it was very professional. I met with, with Mike Golub and two of his representatives. Um, I thought that there would be more members of the front office there, but they opened their doors to have an open and honest conversation. And I asked some pretty hard-hitting questions, um, most of which couldn't be answered because of the ongoing investigation. Um, but unfortunately, a, a lot of the answers that I got uh, weren't very satisfying and eventually led to my decision to step down uh, from from my position as a volunteer anthem singer as the front office stands right now. Madison, you mentioned how much Portland and, and the clubs meant to you. Uh, why take this decision of no longer singing the anthem for them? Unfortunately, as a victim of DV and SA, um, I can't align myself morally with the statement, change takes time. Um, I can't align myself with the front office's message that change takes time because it's a dangerous statement, truly. Um, for someone who's endured um, bringing allegations and elevating them through the court system, for instance, and facing power dynamics at play, um, I know how difficult it can be to use your voice and to stand in your strength in that way. 
Um, and for instance, to make allegations in 2015 and not have consequences met until 2021, how much time is it going to continue to take to make change? Um, and I, in good faith, I couldn't continue to stand on the pitch representing an organization that stood behind that message. Um, in my heart of hearts, I just knew that it would go against my, um, I guess, my um, integrity. <laughs> mm. Uh, Madison, we know how crazy Portland is about the, the thorns and the timbers. I wonder what's been the reaction, maybe both good and bad, to your act of protest. The reaction, for the most part, has been an outpouring of support. Um, the love and the support that I've received has been incredible. Um, there has been a little dichotomy of, you know, frustration that that people don't want to see empty seats or that we're going against the players desires that, you know, PTFC, PTFC still supports the FO. Um, there's a lot of speculation about people who are still attending the matches. Um, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot, a lot of public, um, involvement in, in this. And I'm just trying to focus on the positive. Um, you know, I was, we're able to fundraise for, um, a day, a women's day shelter right now. We've been doing some fundraising for Rose Haven PDX. Um, we're trying to keep the silver lining going and the positivity going in the midst of, of all of this, um, because at times you can feel a little bit powerless. So it's important to, to keep, you know, positive rapport. Madison, I only really have one more question, and, and I guess it's kind of along the lines of what would you like to see happen? Like, what would restore your faith in the Timbers and the Thorns as a franchise? I think there needs to be some dramatic change at the executive level, um, which I know might not happen for some time, or, or it will happen if we continue to raise our voices. Um, I think that there there needs to be some significant change at the executive level. Um, there are people calling for Merritt Polson to sell the team. There are people calling for Gavin Wilkinson to step down from his position. Um, I think Mike Golub is making some really questionable decisions from a PR perspective <laughs> when it comes to how he's managing certain situations, especially with how he managed a small situation that turned into a big one with calling my father, for instance, um, mm. it speaks to uh, their character. It speaks to how they view women, how they treat them, um, and how they wield their power dynamics. Um, I think it's important to think about the humans and not the business. And we're trying, as, as people behind this you knew statement, we're trying to impact the business as much as we can right now because that seems to be the language they speak. All right, Madison, uh, I really, really appreciate your time. And, and perhaps more than that, uh, right now in these moments, I appreciate your candor. I can only imagine how difficult something like this must be to speak on. Thanks so much, and, uh, and we hope to hear from you soon, whether it's here on Football Americas or behind a mic someday soon singing the national anthem. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you covering this.
This is going to be a fun one. It's going to be fast, intense from the first whistle. And this time it's Denano and Pumas take the lead in the final. Here's Jesus Rivas, the substitute right back who lifts in that cross. The header is 2 0. Denano again. And Ladero scores. Talavera got a piece of it, but not enough. Talavera, gamesmanship. Goal. Two all. It's going to be all square coming back to Seattle for the second leg. Seattle hosting Pumas in the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League final in Lumen Field on Wednesday. Marshawn Lynch told us it was a big effing game, and they're expecting a big freaking crowd, over 61,000, Herc. Uh, close to a sellout, if not a sellout. They're looking for a CONCACAF record in this competition. Bring it, Seattle, bring it. Yeah, no surprise. They should have an awesome, awesome atmosphere there in the midweek. What about their opponents? Pumas, who of course had a huge game over the weekend, taking on Pachuca. They needed a win or at least a draw and some help to maintain their, their spot in the repechaje. Not only did they get the win, they got a couple goals from Dineno. Boy, that's got to feel good. Coming off the bench, scoring a couple goals. Juan Dineno, that before this game, listen to this carefully, before mm -hmm. this game in league play, he had one goal. One goal! Takes his tally to three. This is a man possessed in CONCACAF Champions League. Nine goals. Whoo, he's heating up at the right time. This guy is for reals. Absolutely. Big goals throughout the run in the CONCACAF Champions League. You're right, the productivity not quite there in league this time around, but uh, a couple huge goals there for Pumas. All right, Herc, time to make good folks at home some money. The latest edition of Book It, CCL flavor. What do you got? I have a bet at plus 390. The Seattle Sounders winning by two. Now listen to me very by carefully. By two! Listen to me very carefully. This is the first time, and check the tape, that I've ever picked a Major League Soccer team or an American team, U.S. Men's National Team, over a Mexican club, over a National Team on any platform. I am taking the Seattle Sounders by two for a few reasons. Uh, one, what they showed me in that first leg. Pumas mm. made a massive mistake allowing them to come back into this game. A Pumas team that all year has only won two games on the road. Those games, Querétaro and Juarez, two of the worst teams in Mexican soccer. This goes for CONCA champions and this goes for league play. They are a team that suffers, suffers in their 12 games. They've only scored 12 goals on the road, okay? versus a Seattle Sounders team that is a different animal, a different beast when it comes to this competition and playing at home. Many different times have we seen them play at home and you're like, that team got away with a 3-0 loss. It could have been mm. much worse. This could get very ugly if Seattle scores first. At some point, sometime, and I know I've said this many times and I'm going to kick myself for saying it, but Pumas doesn't have that type of roster. They don't have for two tournaments. And I know they've shut my mouth many times, not just mine, different pundits, but at some point they're going to break if they keep bending that way. I just think it's Seattle's to lose. You know what I'm going to say, Herc, right? Of course I know what you're going to say. Sounders TV. There it is. Hercules Gomez. Look, just so, just so one of us at least gets it right, I'll go the other way here. I don't know that I really believe Pumas is going to win, but I do like that payout. Certainly given, what, the 16 years of history that we've got in CONCACAF Champions League finals with Liga MX teams getting the job done, MLS teams not getting the job done. Even the 
slightly smaller sample size history of MLS teams that have actually made it to a CCL final and actually done okay in the first leg and still been unable to finish things off. I'm going to give Pumas a good value bet here. Okay, it's a good value bet. Because I don't think Pumas, you can really ever count them out. And if you're telling me I get a plus 320 payout for Pumas to win, and hey, at least this way, Herc, one of us will have been right. So everybody wins. <laughs> usually here. one of us is right. Yeah, it's usually me. Yeah, that'll do it for this edition of the show. We will be back on Thursday with a full recap of all the action from Lumen Field as Seattle Sounders look to make history and become the first ever Major League Soccer team to win the CONCACAF Champions League. Pumas looking to hold down the fort for Liga MX. What you wearing, huh? I got a Canadian tuxedo on. I didn't know hey, that happened, but it happened. That. that is a lot of <laughs> denim. <laughs>